Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. We were all backstage wearing like these Walter White Breaking Bad like space suits. And she walked by in the hallway and stopped and looked at all of us. Meanwhile, we're all just trying to do our best, like, oh, I'm cool, I'm cool. This is Rihanna. I'm cool. I'm not, I'm not going to faint. I'm fine. But we were all just, like, nervous and, like, you know, kind of, you know, when you look down at the floor and you kind of look back up and you're like, oh, it's kind of, oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, she was like, y'all look fucking sexy. And then kept walking. Walking, 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 walking. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast. A podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars and in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Today's Silent Giant is the super talented trombonist Darius Christian. In this episode, Darius chats with me about meeting Neil deGrasse Tyson, growing up in Baltimore playing Madison Square Garden with Rihanna for the 2016 VMAs, and a whole lot more. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the trombonist, my friend, the silent giant, Darius Christian. Uh, uh, do you hear yourself? Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable where your mic is? Totally. Fantastic, fantastic. Darius, what's up, brother? What's going on, Corey? Dude, man, you, got a, you got a good voice, man. Thanks, man. Yo, you, you, t- you know what it is? When you, when you get on the mic, your voice just turns like straight like late night. It's different. It's a different vibe. <laughs> it's good. You have a good voice. You know you know how you listen back to uh, like audio or videos of yourself and you think, I sound like that, which is not what you think you sound like. You know, it's like exactly. exactly. So I always listen back and I'm like, I sound like the nerdiest seventh grader forever you know but you know maybe but that, maybe but that works you know maybe, maybe it works. you know what it is you don't come across as nerdy seventh grader like in person cool. but on the mic it comes out <laughs> it comes out but, but that's not necessarily a bad thing okay like neil degrasse tyson has a nerdy voice hero he makes it he makes it Love work that guy actually met him once which is crazy really where um just to jump into name dropping i was playing a tv show and he was also on that show and the band i was performing with like, we all were backstage just geeking out. What was the show? It was Good Morning America. Okay, I've heard of it. Yeah, have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah. And I was performing with this really cool uh, band from England, and Neil deGrasse Tyson was uh, What's there. the band from England? I actually am drawing a blank because I'm the worst. <laughs> They're wonderful. Uh, I need a moment. I am, this is embarrassing. Guess what? We, we edit on the show, too. So we edit. Okay. okay. There's no pressure. Uh, 
Yeah. So Bastille was the band I was performing with. <laughs> Good Morning America. It took a second. They're amazing guys. They're really sweet. And backstage, Neil deGrasse, Neil Tyson deGrasse. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson was backstage and he was talking about gravity and he like took a shoe off and he was like, here's the thing about gravity. This is the most amazing thing you could ever imagine. And well, literally he's the actually whole just band talking about gravity. Told, he dropped his shoe and a pencil at the same time and was like freaking out about gravity. Meanwhile, like, People were like, okay, yeah, but you have to go on set right now. And he's like, oh, okay, fine. Like, that's he was so, so amped. That's so fun. The thing, I would want to talk to him about something like smoking weed. Oh, yeah. I want to talk to him about like hollering at chicks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I want to take him out of his realm of science. Right. But I feel like he just like goes back to his comfort zone. He'd be like, yeah, here's the thing about chicks. It's scientifically proven. <laughs> <laughs> that gravity is, is pheromones and astrophysics of the female anatomy. Exactly. Blah, 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 blah. He's blah. probably a player. I can see him being Dude, like, he's underground pimping. Totally. Totally, Doc. I mean, first of all, being on TV gives you a certain little bit of ooh-ah factor. Right. You know what I mean? And something about like podcasting, okay. Like, is that like a face recognition thing? Right. It's just your voice. Right. It's almost like being in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't know the players' faces nine times right. out of ten. If they go to the club, I don't know who like giant. Oh my God. Yeah. You just know they're big, but you don't right. know their name nine times out of ten. Unless they're a superstar. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how podcasting works. Mm-hmm. But TV puts you in that like, man, you're 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 like a rapper. Even Bill Nye, man. I've been out playing Damn. gigs, and Bill Nye has been around. Like I used to play in jazz orchestras like three or four years ago. You, you went in like a science crowd. It's fun. Yeah, it's definitely a science club. And I remember one night playing in this jazz orchestra doing like Duke Ellington and Count Basie and like Lindy Hoppers, like all around, like vintage era, like outfits. I look up Bill Nye, the fucking science guy, is like, Twirling people around, flipping them over what? his shoulders, crushing the game. No joke. Bill Nye. Don't sleep on Bill Nye. No, I'm not sleeping on him. Dog. I'm telling you, yo, these guys are the rock stars of science. <laughs> They're rock stars of science. They're rock man. stars, dog. It's not even a joke. It's Think like, about the type of caliber women they're getting, though. Yeah. Like, yo, they're getting that, like, Kim Kardashian look, but like Harvard degree. Totally. Like, just well rounded. Future ex wife. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, how have you weathered in the city so far, just in general? As a human? As a human. Um, not, not as a player, just as a, as a human. As a oh, human. Oh, man. You know, I moved here from Baltimore. Okay. Baltimore County, suburban, raised human. What was, spent, what was it like in Baltimore? Baltimore is a very, uh, it's a black and white city. There are clear boundaries. Even, uh, you know, in areas of Baltimore City, like Johns Hopkins University, re- like world renowned, like, pr- you know, prolific. Brilliant masterminds. You can be on the campus of Johns Hopkins, go two blocks over, and it's like the most intense war zone, you know, in terms of gang violence that yeah. you've ever seen. Um, two other blocks later, it's like magical and like, you know, hipster ass Brooklyn. It's like there's, it's very patchy. But I found even living in, in growing up in suburbia, it was always a thing. And, um, you know, this is kind of what my album, my upcoming EP is about. It's called Little Black Boy, which will be coming out within the year. But it's, you know, it's, I grew up as like the Oreo kid, the articulate black kid who wasn't black enough for the black kids, but was like, could kind of hang out with the white kids, but it was like kind of in this weird little bubble, you know, um, you, and just overhearing things like, oh, the black kid in our class, mm-hmm. you know, th- just subtle. It was all subtle, but like, so growing up in Baltimore was interesting because I had a lot of opportunities um, in terms of education, but at the same time, it was culturally stifling. 
I think. Well, I mean, so describe like your, your how did you end up going to those type of schools where you mm. like shipped, um, shuttled from a different neighborhood to go to those schools? Or Interestingly enough, uh, I early on applied my parents put me in a magnet school, which I guess is the equivalent of like a charter school. Okay. Or something along Did you those have to lines. apply? You had to apply and you also had to be within the school zone, which secret that is just now released. Sorry, Cromwell Elementary. I wasn't actually in that school zone, but my parents knew that the education system was there. It was like hooked up. So they like figured out a way to get me into that school. You caught that cousin up. They, they hooked it up. Yeah. You know? um, so I was able to get like, pretty amazing education from a, a young age elementary school and then we moved from baltimore city proper out into the county about 20 minutes north and that's where i spent most most of my adolescent years and, and how did uh, music come into your life at like what age or what point did that mm-hmm. happen i was young my my dad is a minister and i grew up in the church so i was surrounded by gospel music you know, Kirk Franklin, the mm. contemporary stuff. Can I get a revolution? Can I get a revolution? You know what I mean? <laughs> Revel- I don't know why I said revolution. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, I grew up around that music, but at an early age, I was drawn to brass and orchestral and chamber music. I remember, like, theme and variations was coming on in the car that, um, do you know this one? What is it? That was coming on in the car? What station were you listening to? It was like, we were listening to, like, I was drawn to the, the orchestra station as a kid. Like, wow. I kid you not. I was really into these, like, lush, diverse sounds. And I remember, like, it was a moment for sure. I was like, Dad, I don't know what that shit is, but I fucking want that. I definitely didn't say that because I was terrified to curse around my dad yeah. until about a year ago. Um, but, yeah, I just was drawn to brass instruments. So I started off playing trombone. And, and what was like the, is there like a particular moment or turning point where you were like, wow, like, um, I knew I wanted to rap mm. from Heavy D. Cool. Uh, Waterbed Have, that, mm. that album, rest in peace. But what was that moment for you? Um, is there like a story where you were like, ah, in particular? I think, honestly, I, I wanted to play trumpet. My teacher kind of looked at me like, oh, you little black boy with your big ass lips. Let's give you trombone because your lips are like <laughs> a little bit bigger. And, and what, what age is this? This was fifth grade fourth or fifth grade so i i guess i was 10 or 11 okay um which is a very early age you did have a lot of access to um i always notice uh i think i think it's outlines by malcolm gladwell but mm. he talks about um the access that bill gates had to computers mm. then intelligence thing yep. it was uh, he had access he to computers early before everyone else did yep. because of where he lived in the country yep and so like uh your school definitely set you up to, totally. Because I, I didn't have access to trombone at third grade, fourth grade. And man, it was a beautiful instrument. It was in great shape. Um, and, you know, my, my parents were in a situation financially where they could afford to, you know, buy an instrument for me. And that's a, ble- that's a huge blessing, like, to just have that alone. You know, we did like a rent to own option. And, my, and I promised my dad, I was like, if you get this instrument for me, I will never put it down. And to this day, weirdly enough, I've never, I have, just haven't. I've, wow. Um, so, yeah, I feel super grateful to have, you know, grow up in a sort of black middle class privilege, you know, situation where my parents, when they're growing up, they were, you know, poverty. My mom was one of six kids, inner city Baltimore, no dad around, you know, grinding. The wire. The, the wire, <laughs> straight up. When I think of Baltimore, I just in think the of 60s, the wire. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. And so, um, so how did you get introduced? Tell me the story of being introduced uh, to the trombone. Um, it was a matter of, honestly, like I really had trumpet envy. saw people with trumpets and I saw that you know they could push buttons and make sound come out and I really wanted to do that but my teacher was very intuitive and she did see that I just had a knack for something about low brass I, th I think instruments kind of lend to a person's personality and I hate to say it trumpet players as much as I love all of my trumpet playing friends they tend to have more of an anal retentive energy yeah which translates into their career lead trumpet players have to be on top they sit on top of the orchestra they're the loudest they're the highest they're like the quarterback in some ways okay. the brass section uh, trombone players tend to be supportive warm nerdy as hell super nerdy the bass player in the rock band you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. we'd like to hold it down low drama exactly mellow. but power when you need it like right. hans power zimmer you scores yep. you know what i mean yep. like the dark knight you some serious trombone playing on that stuff um and so from there on out I, you know the trombone opened my world because in middle school high school i was studying jazz I was in jazz band where we were learning like wayne shorter like you know, like, like weather report shit. Yeah. Like hybrid jazz that was able, you know, entry level stuff that got kids excited. Um, you know, chamber ensemble. And then I learned like the trombone is pretty rad because it can throw you in all these different scenarios like ska music, rock bands, soul music, jazz, pop, R&B, you know. I still haven't really seen trombone in bluegrass, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's doable. Sure it's done for sure. You know, world music like, um, and so I think that's why I'm still doing it to this day because I've been able to play like all kinds of music with this weird ass instrument that looks like a paperclip. You know, a <laughs> paper. That's hilarious. It kind of does a bronze paper. Literally clip. in I'll, France, huge. if you buy paperclips, they're called trombones. Don't know why. Really, but it's fact. Wow. Okay. So, so now you go, you pick up uh, trombone, and and where did that lead you? Like post, like post high school. Or like, how did you understand that mm -hmm. you wanted to pursue this as a career? Yeah. Because a lot of folks play instruments, but it becomes typically a hobby, or you kind of mm -hmm. have like this notion that ah, well, it's kind of a fun thing to do, but I'm just going to like work in insurance and be a used car mm -hmm. salesman. Yeah. Um, how did that turn <laughs> into a professional like for you? Yeah, it was interesting because towards the end of high school, it was that time around junior year. Uh, I was enrolled in a good amount of like AP classes, honor roll classes. I uh, got really into education in high school, which was good. Um, and it came to a time like, what, what am I going to do? You know, a lot of my, my peers knew what they wanted to do and had been working towards that. But I was kind of late with the whole, the whole thing. Like, um, like honestly, my class was weird. Like I've got people that I went to school with who are now like educators at, Oxford, Harvard, Yale, like serious scientists, data analysts, like hardcore. And so I was with these people where I'm like, I just really love playing music in this rock band and singing. Like, I don't know what my path is. Um, so I got kind of lucky and I got very lucky. Um, I enrolled in Towson University, which is the, the local university mm -hmm. in Baltimore. Yep. Um, 
and I enrolled in the music education track because I was like, oh, it's a fallback. You know, education is, it means I'll have a job. Right. You know, coming out of that very cliche thought, which is um, both disrespectful to musicians and educators because educators are serious like humans and have the most utmost, utmost respect for people who like do that because yeah. they know like that's their mission. But I walked in there like, yeah, maybe I'll do this. And I discovered um, an educator at Towson, a team of teachers, Jim McFalls and Dave Ballou, who run the jazz program at Towson, okay. who completely kicked my ass. Musically, they opened my mind to what it means to be a professional artist, a musician, what it takes to dedicate yourself to a craft, to you know, put yourself in a room for hours a day in a healthy way. But I, I had this moment where I was like, oh, this is the bar. Like, this is crazy. And these people gave me an opportunity to, like when I went to university, the first year I had zero skills in the trombone. I had some skills, but like I was not coming in there like a, in the way that if you imagine Trombone Shorty or Wynton Marsalis yeah. or like some of these guys come out talented at age 15, 14, you know, that was not me. Like ready for the league. Not me. Okay. Not me. And so what was it about Towson um, that you think set it apart and gave you a positive experience? And specifically, what did you learn um, that set you up as a professional? Yeah. This is interesting because I both went, I went to Towson and then I went right after without a break to NYU for grad school. And okay. I did jazz studies the whole time. Um, I felt that Towson had faculty who were physically there like five days out of the week. And they've had like, they had insane touring opportunities with, you know, from playing with like Diana Ross to touring with Maria Schneider, who's an amazing jazz composer. Um, she just did a lot of work with David Bowie before he died on his last record. Um, you know, these people, so they, they know the game, but they were committed to educating. And so that was the number one thing that I found to be like unbelievable. Like I could, I had such a crazy bond with my professor, Jim that he gave me his keys to his fucking office. Wow. Think about, like, I would have lessons with him there. I would go practice. We would have rehearsals. And then he'd be like, well, I'm out of here. And then I would sit and just listen to records for hours, like Love Supreme, Coltrane Records, Bill Evans Records, um, Hank Levy, like all these ridiculous jazz albums. And I would just work and grind and the fact that this teacher put trust in me, you know, and kicked my ass. Like, I'm talking about, like, he came from a military background. So he was in um, one of the, the uh, he was in the Jazz Ambassadors, which is the Washington, D.C. home base jazz ensemble. Okay. So they would do events for presidential things, uh, concerts around the country. So he, he treated us like we were kind of scrubs, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, if you make a mistake, you got to start over. That's the, that's the vibe. Like, if we're learning a solo note for nerd, note, um, and you miss it up, look, sorry, man, like, you didn't pass this week. It was hardcore. Wow. It was hardcore. Yeah. And, and as, a, as a professional, I know, um, as far as, like, theory and learning the actual music, mm. um, but what, about, what about as a professional? Like, how mm. did that experience at Towson shape you as a professional musician? I think it taught me expectation, um, and they, Towson really held me accountable. You know, they're like, great, you got some talent, but here's this recital, and it's all memorized, and you need to learn it, you know. Um, but it came from a place of love, 
um, and what they gave me was this opportunity to, to develop my own artistry. So first couple of years, it's like you need to learn these standards, you need to learn the instrument proficiently, but now we're going to let you curate a four-part concert series, your own music, your own ensembles. Wow. So that, that was crazy. Um, I felt that when I went to NYU for grad school, it was a specialized degree. I got to work with some of my heroes as well, but... Um, you know, NYU, I think, is in some ways real estate. I'm going to be completely honest. I think they're, it's a business. They're business-minded. They're numbers-driven. Um, I didn't feel top-down that NYU was invested in each individual as much as I felt as that homegrown Towson program. Right, right. I got a lot out of NYU. I'm so thankful I went there in the end, even though I'm like, I'm upset to say that because I was, I was frustrated when I was there. Yeah. I felt like some of the, the leaders there were um, just looking out for themselves in the sense of like using musicians on their gigs and like not paying them. It was a weird, weird little system, but I'm thankful I did it. You right, know? right. Um, and also it, sets you, it set you up in New York. Did you always want to be in New York? It, it happened kind of, the path kind of happened interestingly. I didn't know that that was the path. Uh, a lot of my musicians in Baltimore, they're very um, <clears throat> creative on the improvising scene. And I kind of, there was this Baltimore exodus of musicians, like 10 of us moved up. Okay. We all lived in a house together. Our first apartment was in Bushwick at formerly the Latin, like one of the Latin Kings headquarters. Like it was a fucked up house. We had like jaw, jaw bones in the backyard and bullet casings. It was rough. Like living out in Bushwick. And it, it was like 10 of you guys from Towson. It was four of us in a house, a duplex. All, all from Towson? All from Towson. All from Baltimore. And were they going to school here? Or they, they we all be- went to Masters together. We, we did the program together. Wow. I mean, like Band of Brothers. It was totally. <laughs> yeah. And we're still really close to this day. And we're all, we're all building our own separate brands. Um, so the, the move to New York was very much, oh, like, well, there's something telling me to go there. I don't know why. I want to get this degree. I want to meet and work with my heroes, which were Alan Ferber, Stefan Harris. Uh, they were teaching it at NYU at the time, and it just kind of late. It fell into place. Now, now were you getting gigs in um, in Baltimore, up in New York? It was just a kind of a cold call, like yo. It was a cold call. I was working at the, by the time I left Baltimore. Like I said, my teacher, I have endless love and respect for him. He was if he could make a gig, he was throwing me in like as a, as like an 18 year old, 19 year old kid, like totally green. Like I was doing orchestra gigs for the Harrisburg symphony, like next to my teacher. And that was like a moment where I was like, this is crazy. Like this is a, I'm so thankful for this moment to like be what this is my teacher. And we're on the same like symphony pops gig right now. What is yeah. happening? But then I moved to New York and it was like, well, motherfucker, you don't know anybody. Yeah. At all. You yeah. know, how, how did you kind of break, uh, breakthrough because I mean even for any New Yorker, mm. um, especially I feel like as a as a as a creative, mm-hmm. because there's a route for the person who wants to be a doctor, right? And there's a route for the person who wants to be an attorney or right. who wants to be a school bus driver. <laughs> I could tell you like how to become those. You got the school bus driver route. What yeah, you do? I, I know how to do it. How do you? What's the route? Now, now I've never done it, oh. but I could Google it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like. I'm always intrigued. One thing I love about the podcast the most is hearing people's story of how you kind of break in. Yeah. Because it's no rhyme or reason no, or not at all. science to it. Yeah. Uh, so how did you kind of crack the code and, and kind of break into the industry here in New York? Uh, so grad school helped because it was two years of time in the city. Um, and what I made, I made a point to 
um, do the work in school, but get out of school. Go to jam sessions. You know, my first thing was going to Smalls late night, um, which was terrifying. Just to be at jam sessions, you're like totally uncomfortable. Like, you know, people are calling like, a ladybird fell into the sky uh, in the key of B sharp major nine. You know, it's like random shit that you've never played. You're like, oh, yeah, I know that shit. Yeah, yeah. But you want these opportunities to just meet people. So you sit in and you sound terrible. And then you go home and you regret your decisions. <laughs> and then you go back. And then you keep meeting more people. So it was a mixture of just like going to jam sessions. And it was a mixture of my connections from Baltimore. A couple friends got in touch with a wedding band company. And there I met people that I still play with today, like four years ago. Okay. Um, so doing private events, I had an opportunity to get out there and work, you know, playing covers, playing bar mitzvahs, playing bat mitzvahs, doing the grind on the weekends. Uh, it built my chops up and, you know, behind the scenes, like I realized all these people that I admire, these musicians who have their own projects are, we're, we're out here working. I just work with this company that hired Aerosmith to play a wedding. Like if you know, Aerosmith is out here doing cocktail hours, we're we're all we're right. <laughs> now the ratio of the, the paycheck is quite wow, different. Wow, <laughs> wow. You know it's different, but we're grinding. Bruno Mars does private events. Yeah, yeah, Justin absolutely. Timberlake does, you know, so couple couple zeros behind it. Different zeros. <laughs> Working toward. Give me like three of those zeros, homie. I'm down. I'll take like three of the zeros. And then, did you find uh, getting work here um, easy? You know, how, how, would you, how would you describe the, the, the jazz scene? And, and, you know, I'm not a jazz artist, so it's kind of a world I'm not really used to. So I, how do you find the jazz scene in New York? I feel like I'm a complicated jazz dropout. Explain that. There's so much elitist bullshit associated with getting a jazz degree, especially in New York City, that I'm so happy to discuss. Jazz is an art form that is unique to America, and it's one of the most powerful mediums that to this day has been sampled in hip-hop, R&B, gospel music, you name it. It's, it's amazing. It's a lifeline. Unfortunately, the way we teach it is, I wanted to say disgusting, but it, it can be really traumatic if you're like, hey, if you don't practice your instrument for 10 hours a day and develop a drug habit like, drug habit like John Coltrane did, then you ain't shit. Like, uh, not to say that teachers were saying that, but... There's a very scary elitist. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So... What are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
thing that that happens. So with to answer your question, it was tough. It was very tough. Like the jazz community is struggling in New York in some ways. It's I think it has a conflicted identity. Like, are we trying to play the music exactly like the record in 1958? Or are we trying to create something new? And there are people who do both of those things extremely well, who I respect. But for me, coming out of school, I realized my identity wasn't that. I wasn't, you know, a jazz, like, young lion. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, coming out of school, grad school, grad school alone, I was walking dogs for, like, $8 an hour in the cold. My hands were freezing, literally picking up dog shit, playing jazz orchestra gigs for, like, $25 an hour. Not even an hour. $25 for four hours at. Wow, $25 for a four-hour set. Yeah, we would do some like breaks, but like four hours of a gig, you're wearing a tux, $25. Wow. I did that for years, grinding. And eventually I was like, I can't do this. Like this, I don't know what this means to me. And I, I had to sit back and like think like, well, what is, that, what is it that I really want to be doing? And my mission here is to actually like sing songs and tell, tell stories, use the trombone as a vehicle there. And it took some years, like some some bouts of, you know, post-school depression, you know, sitting at home, smoking weed, too broke to eat, not exercising, you know, not finding your own community that you identify with. These factors combined can mess you up in New York. So I, I had to go through a bit of a growth period. For, for sure. For sure. For sure. You know? <clears throat> and sometimes you got to learn that it's a scary reality, but... You're replaceable. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit. You know, I mean, it's harsh. But unless you are doing your art and making your own music and pushing that, it's a tough thing. It's a tough pill to swallow. To swallow. But I've learned it's, in my opinion, you're replaceable. Right? Yeah, for sure. So our mission, like you're doing this podcast, nobody can do this podcast. It's yours. Yeah. You know, it's your mission. I'm sure this brings you life. I can see it on your face. That's why this is dope. You know, and some people, their mission is to be a sideman, and that's awesome. And that's what I've been doing, and I love doing that too. But I've learned, like, you got to be careful about your heart. You know, mm. if you're investing your heart in other people's projects, say they say, oh, I don't actually want to use trombone, which is their right, you know. How do you feel? You know, if if that's your thing, you're like, oh, well, I thought we were friends and this is, oh. Then it's like a thing. Right, right. It's a thing. It's well, a thing. It's also, too, I think the hardest adjustment for me was to not take anything personally. Mm. Like, How did you get there? Man, um, you're the first one to ever ask me a question. Mm. Interesting. Um Honestly, just pain. Honestly, you're just real. Yep. <laughs> like, it's real, I, man. I, I I, <laughs> you're I, even touching your side right now, talking about it. Yeah, like, woo! It's one of those things that you kind of took everything personally because in your hometown, people were just more accessible and they had more time. You have a personal relationship. Um, they could nurture you. And New York isn't like a nurturing kind of thing. You kind of have to show up to the party. Um, I got to think of it like going out to uh, I, I work at, at a, uh, a lounge in the Lower East Side. Yeah, and some guys want to come in mm -hmm. 
They show up three deep to the yeah, lounge. Yeah, bottle service and all. They want a bottle or a table. Not no, not even want a bottle. This is what I, this is what I learned from New York. Mm. They want to come into the club, and they have no girls with them. Right. Their gear isn't that fresh. Mm-hmm. Except it's okay. I let you in, but you're not that fresh, and you just want to get right in. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, "Hey, man, look, uh, I'm gonna tell you why I'm not gonna be some dick doorman. I'm gonna tell you why you're not gonna get in, mm-hmm. okay? Because you're not coming to the party correct, mm-hmm. right? Now you may think, well, I have the money to spend, mm-hmm. but having the money is just the criteria, one factor, mm-hmm. one piece of criteria to get mm-hmm. you in this door. Now look at your party. What are you bringing to the party? Because mm-hmm. girls don't want to dance." with you. Mm. You want to dance with the girls, mm-hmm. right? And you're bringing no girls to the party. So I can't really help you. Your gear, not bad, but it's not fantastic. So you're just, you're, you, want, you want to take from the party, but you're not giving back to the party. Mm. And I think that's what I learned from my experience in New York is to learn to be not just, um, mm. not just taking from yeah, a situation, right. but how can I give right. to the situation? Because the person who can give to the situation their phone will always ring right. and the email will always get answered. Right. Oh, and, that is huge. And you realize quickly why someone was not getting back to you. Yo, we had we had a good connection. Yo, we were mad cool. Yeah. Like, we, yo, ghosted me. And then you come develop an attitude. Like, yo, yeah, man, he, you know, he ain't real. You know what I'm mm. saying? I had to learn, like, yo, you have to bring value yeah. to a situation. Yeah. And I call it a good sex relationship. Right. I'll say I'm about good sex relationships, and New York has taught me that. <laughs> good sex is when I get off and my partner gets off. Right. Right? And if she gets off, that means she's going to constantly come back. When you, right. see, when you see a guy uh, talk about, yeah, man, I bagged this chick. Oh, I hate that shit so much. But you know what? If they do it, hey, man, she's bad, tell me about it. Right. But then the next question is, did you hit it again? Right. Did you hit it again? Right. Because that means you, you really weren't good. You didn't selfish, consider Yeah, it's selfish pursuits. Yep. That's such a huge point because if, if you're a freelancer and you're always waiting for someone to call you and an entitlement is such a dangerous thing yeah. that I've felt and it's like we have to, I have to remove the ego. I have to constantly check myself. Like, you know, to be completely candid, we're in a field where we're looking for, you know, we're looking for people to listen to our music but we have to be careful. Like we're not doing this for fame. Like some people are, but you know, if if we're, what, why are we doing this? You know what I mean? Right. It's a question we have to be honest with. Like, is our mission to just like, okay, cool, I'm on the gig. Look at me, cool. Right. Or is it like I actually want to move people? I want people to be crying up in the show, like, and then in the bathroom having sex with someone that they just met. Low key, those are kind of my goals. Like, I want people to feel, right. meet people, feel good, feel sexy, feel intelligent, articulate. You know, the mission and giving, that's so huge. The giving. Because if you're just taking, like, oh, man, I need, what's up with the gig? Did you, are you paying? What's up with the money? Nobody wants to work with no that. No one wants to work with that. That being said, and, you do have to take care of right, the business. It, but, but Exactly. But I think just coming to the situation with, like, even if you're going to ask, like, hey, man, when's the gig? When's the next gig? And, like, where's woo, the money at? Like, 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 like it, it, if you come that way, yeah. you best come. With like, well, cool. Well, look, offer something when I get like when you get there. Like, hey, cool. Well, I'll be there a little bit early to help set up for mm. the show mm-hmm. to do sound check. Yo, I make sure like do something where people goes. Yo, he's reliable. He's not just taking from me. 
when I get to the gig, and even though it's kind of hurt, even if you're annoying, if you just can give something and you hold, like, stay to your word, you're going to get the phone call. Mm. And I think that's what New York teaches you. This is not a, no one's, everyone's looking for a good sex relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and your gift and your talent to whether it's rapping or playing trombone mm-hmm. or art direction, uh, it's easily replaceable. Easily. Easily. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, it's like there's someone who does what you do 10 times better, and they're available. And they just moved to the city. Hungry. You know what I mean? It's not even, it's not even a game. It's just actually fact. You know? um, but I want to get into some, some, uh, some of your, your, your big projects you've worked on. So, sure. Um, you were you were with the VMAs of Rihanna. Is this true? I did. Yeah, played at the 2016 VMAs. So wait, so how how does that how does that kind of happen? Like, who do you know that like sets you up with those types of gigs? Is there is there like an agent or a yeah, manager so or there there are some contractors in New York City, um, and you know it's funny. You do sometimes you do gigs that just don't pay money with your friends. They're original music. You build really good relationships. And opportunities pop up, you know, even on the way here, I'm like arranging something for a Fallon spot that I'm doing coming up in this month. Okay. Um, playing on the Fallon show with Andy Grammer. Okay. So I'm helping, I'm helping their music, musical team, like, you know, suggesting some Trump, um, some saxophone player names. And, um, and the point is it's kind of like word of mouth, you know, bad words travel so fast you know, you don't show up to a gig. Well, you, people know you as the guy that doesn't show up to the gig. But if you do good work, um, you know, people hear about you word of mouth. And it's relationships. Um, so I've, I've made a relationship with a really great contractor. And, and she's uh, been incredible in terms of just, you know, thinking of of the, the people who show up and deliver. And so that that opportunity was contracted-based. So, so is, this like, is this like a management company that like not even it was like an independent contractor who was working on the event and like i need some people wow so heard about my name word of mouth and and some of my other colleagues uh like michael stephenson sunny step who i'm doing a show with august 22nd at rockwood music hall i just dropped that there (laughs) come out come out come out nine o'clock nine o'clock um so yeah, that's how that that popped up. And what, what's the story behind that? Was there what was the rehearsal process like? Was there rehearsal? Yeah, crazy. So the VMAs was at Madison Square Garden, but because it's Rihanna, they're like, we need another, we need a rehearsal venue. So they rented out the Izod Center, which is like, I think it's it's over, it's like the Prudential Center. It's a massive arena, huge. They're like, yeah, we're just gonna rent this out for the day. So we had this whole arena, and we were just we had our whole stage set. And we were just running the show, running the show, run it again, run the show. For how many hours? We were there for like six hours, six, it wasn't that long, six or seven hours. And then we did the show the next day. Wow. The industry is crazy, man. So they rent out the IZOT Center. Rent it out. And like, who's all in the IZOT Center? Like, is, is MT? It was What's Rihanna's it? team, straight up, that was it. Was she there? She was there, yeah. Wow. And that was when we met her the first time, was during rehearsals. What was that like? We were all backstage wearing like these Walter White, Breaking Bad, like space suits. And she walked by in the hallway and stopped and looked at all of us. Meanwhile, we're all just trying to do our best. Like, oh, I'm cool. I'm cool. It's just Rihanna. I'm cool. I'm not, I'm not going to faint. I'm fine. 
but we were all just like nervous and like, you know, kind of, you know, when you look down at the floor and you kind of look back up and you're like, oh, it's God, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, she was like, y'all look fucking sexy. And then kept walking. And we all just kind of were like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> you know like when, <laughs> I don't know, any sort of scene where people are hyped, but like trying to do it quietly. That was the whole brass section. You know, like trying to not make a sound, but we were like, oh, my God, that, did that just happen? Like, what? And then we rehearsed, and literally she was the sweetest, soft-spoken, down-to-earth human. It was really, really refreshing, actually. Because how much time did you have between getting the gig and then the rehearsal in the, sh- in the show? I knew about the job for about three weeks, and I wasn't, actually wasn't disclosed. They're, they were like, this is a big thing. I can't tell you who it is but this is big. And I was like, okay, um, I'll do it. I'm just going to trust in the universe. And they're like, yeah, this is with Rihanna. And I was just like, what? Damn. You know, that email popped up. So then from that point on, the rehearsal came up and Whitney Houston's, formerly Whitney Houston's MD was, was also the MD, for, the musical director yeah. for this. So it was just like, whoa. Um, just crazy. And then we rehearsed and then we played the VMAs and, Rihanna got her award and, you know, Drake was on the stage and it was like, is this real? And then literally, this is what New York has taught me. No one gives a shit about what you do or who you are. I left that arena, Madison Square Garden. You know, we tried to go to the after party. We couldn't get in. <laughs> we, went, we tried to go to up and down. They were like, are you Rihanna? Oh. And I was like, no, no, no. We're with the band. They're like, sorry, you're not on the list. And it was like, wow. Word. Were you still in like full outfit? No, no, no. We were laid back. <laughs> but we were all hyped. We were like, we just played the motherfucking VMA. And, uh, and we go to up and down. They're like, sorry, um, are you Bieber? No. And so the whole band went partying next door, ironically. <laughs> at the Irish bar? At the, you know the spot? Yeah, the Irish Dude. bar. No, because that's famous, famous for the spot where you can't get in the up Yo, and down. we turned their up. Biz, their okay. business <laughs> is there for people that can't get in the up and down. <laughs> it was great. Like, honestly, Rihanna's even banned. They couldn't get in, so we were just drinking tequila. It was awesome. And it was a reminder, like, you ain't shit unless you're, do- unless you're Rihanna or doing your own thing, right? Not to be harsh. And literally, like, I go on the subway and I step into human shit. And I was like, this is poetic. <laughs> you know, like this is, I just played for 20,000 something people. In the world's most famous arena. Madison MSG, baby. The world's watching. Woo. The performance. My Instagram's popping off right now. Lit. Step into shit. Need new shoes. And so you just did Panorama? I just did Panorama, yeah. How was that? Beautiful. That was a beautiful, that was like some cosmic... You know, Solange played with her and Frank Ocean went on after and it was like, this is what we live for. Like, I don't rarely get nervous on stage, but looking out in that crowd that was seemingly endless, the sunset was like crimson and Solange basically, she owned that fucking, she was like, was the queen of that whole atmosphere and people were just so ready and present for this statement of hers, which is like, 
you know, not to say black is beautiful, but like, I am a black woman. I am strong. Do not touch my hair. Like, I'm at the Guggenheim. Like, we are the Guggenheim. We are black people. Like, this message, whites, blacks, Puerto Ricans, Asians, Jews, everybody was out there, like, in honor of these legends. And it was like, woo. And what, what, how did this gig come about? How did how'd that happen? Um, not too long ago. I, are, are you, I mean, we get this, are you represented by, by folks or do folks? I'm not represented. I'm completely independent. So folks just kind of like through word of mouth, yeah. you get referred like, man, the music industry is so interesting. Yeah. Six it's, years it's of so grinding. Difficult. I've built relationships where I, they're sort of consistent. Okay. Okay. Um, and they're coming in. I don't have an agent for any of my music. Shout out to anybody that I, I, I'm just going to say that again. I don't have an agent, but you know, I'll be looking for a booking agent down the road. There we go. <laughs> um, I had a personal manager who was helping me with logistics and session dates, but um, yeah, Solange's team reached out to a mutual friend of mine whose brother is the MD. Okay. Okay. So let me show you this right. Solange's team reached out solange's md has a brother who i play with got you okay and they i mean he's been doing that forever and finally gave his brother the call which is hilarious for like six years he's like man you just now giving me this call so then our first gig was at uh the guggenheim where we did this amazing in in um, performance art piece in the guggenheim um with solange and dancers and it was a, it was a trip wow yeah what was the panorama like this the crowd and it was crazy. I've never played for that many people, and they were present. It was... And that show was lit. It was crazy. There was one moment where Solange is in front of me and starts twerking, and I have to like realize, like, okay, don't fuck up these dance moves, <laughs> and don't look at the crowd, because I'm going to spook myself out. So I had to like lock in on like one person's face and focus, and that actually really helped me, like channeling that like yoga, mindfulness, meditation thing, and... Because it was a lot, man. Like, I, she was teaching us steps. I wish I could show you guys, but like, we were doing like Chicago moves and like two steps and different like stuff that we learned the day of the show. So I was just like, the day of the, the day show? of the show, not to put her team on blast, but they moved quick. Wow. Yeah. We had a rehearsal 12 to 8, 12 to 6, maybe, maybe 11 to 6. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, get into a bus. Uh, one hour later, we were actually on the stage at Panorama. No. Okay, back on the bus. We got to go get our shit. Wow. It was like that. Wow. I'm, I'm a huge Solange fan. I love her. Which is funny. I didn't start off as a huge Solange fan. One of my friends, shout, shout out to my friend Jam, uh, Jana. Well, not that I, didn't know, I just didn't know that much of her music. Right. Not that I, I wouldn't say I, I wasn't a, not a Me fan. Neither. I was just unaware. Same. Um, and my friend Jana was like adamant about her for years, years, mm. and years. And like, I'm the type of person that if, if I hear music like secondary, like I'm, I'm in the industry, so I'm always working on music, mm-hmm. which is, it makes it difficult to be a consumer of music. It's tough. When you're always working. So I hear it through other people who are connected too because they're in the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, when I heard this last album, See at the Table, baby. Woo! Incredible. Yeah. I, I'm going to make a, a bold statement that it is the. Best female album mm. since the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Wow. That's huge. And you know what my criteria is? My criteria for this being 
the best female album since The Miseducation yeah. is The Homie Test. Hmm. Do you play this with your homies? Yeah. Right? Because oh, think, yeah. think about a lot of guys yeah. won't play female music right. with their guys. It's they almost got like the not egos. A, they got the, you know. Wait, no. I don't think it's ego driven. I think, oh. it's, I think it's just um, audience driven, right? Mm. Like a lot of times I can recognize Eminem is awesome. But I don't relate to Eminem's content because sure. Eminem's from a different totally. path than I'm from. Totally. Now, Kanye is from the same totally. fabric that I'm from. First Middle class, black. Oh, my God. Kanye is the greatest. Yep. Greatest. Yeah. And like, so it's a story and a narrative that I can relate to, mm-hmm. you know? And I think with female artists, it's difficult for men to relate to it mm. because obviously, like, it's about a guy. And if you're a straight guy, you're not going to really connect mm-hmm. to it as much, even mm-hmm. though I'm jamming to it at a party. Mm-hmm. But in my private listening, mm-hmm. not so much. Right. But Solange has the ability on this album, the content is so, mm. in musicianship, mm-hmm. and content is so rich that you get to sit back with your boys, roll one, yeah. and just like enjoy. It's aesthetic. It's, it's, a, it's such a crazy aesthetic. Yeah, I totally agree. And so I want to... Um, what advice do you have? What lessons have you learned? What advice do you have for instrumentalists who want to move to New York City that um, you wish you had kind of known before um, or mistakes you've just made like along the way in general? My foremost advice for any artist moving to New York City would be to have your project and start making it. Have a clear vision of what you want to accomplish or just have material, create material. If that means you're doing it on your iPhone with GarageBand, which is actually pretty amazing, or you're using, you know, there's a cool app called Loopy where you can make loops on your phone. Just have a vision before you come here. If you can make a record somewhere else, do it. If you can, yes. you know what I mean? Like, because what you'll find is it is, it is jarringly difficult to pay rent, eat food, date, just be a human here in New York alone. You go ahead and add three times the cost of that for launching a band, for pay, you know playing shows. Like New, the New York market is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the person who wants to launch. It's for the person that wants to come here and they've got it. They've got the idea. They may not have all the ingredients, but they've got. Maybe you get. Maybe you just have that burning passion. You know, I'll figure it out. Then cool. But I would just say, if you can come to New York, New York, like I wish I had a clearer vision when I came here to some degree. But it's also the path. There's no one. There's no one path. But my biggest advice is like, listen to your 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 gut. Create the best music that relates to you, and don't worry about these boxes. Don't compare yourself to other artists. Um, just make what is coming out of your soul and make it as best as you can if you are trap happy and you like you know i really for whatever reason trap music brings me out of depression and it makes me want to save the world then fucking do it you know or if you're like i want to do bluegrass there's a scene in like red hook you know like but just make it like be it being be a scholar about your shit so like for example, if you love Kimbra, okay, well, why do I love Kimbra? Who produced those tracks? How did she produce those tracks? How many mics did she use? Let me like, check out those mics. Can I get those mics? Can I do this at home? Like, you got, like, scholarship. Yeah. 
you know that's my that's my best advice is just be you know be scholarly and what is what is the you, you mentioned a good word about vision and have a good vision of yourself and what you want to do and what you want to become what's your vision for yourself i want to use my music and get people through those tough spots and get people hyped on a wide platform and so you said our service that we do this for my my service is my music you know um this awkward black boy you know jazz meets everything like we're here to celebrate life we're here to encourage your neighbor that love is okay regardless of what it looks like um that's my mission darius man awesome having you on the show brother Corey. This is rad. Great meeting you. Shout out to my girl, Olivia. Olivia. Castronata. Ca- What's her last name? Ca- Olivia. Castrine. Oh, she's going to hate oh, me. Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I know. Uh, ca- Castronata. Castriata. Castriata. <laughs> Olivia, what's your last name? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to put her in the, in the credits. Olivia Castriota. Castriota. Yeah, she's got music. She's got music videos out. She's got swag for days. She's a homie. Yeah, shout out to our girl, Olivia Castriota, for making this possible, man. You're my homie. Homie for life. Darius, thank you so much, man. Corey, thank you. Get that dude. Yes. Peace. Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of NBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens. NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at MBM Studios NYC. Also, the music for this episode has been brought to you by Oblet. Be sure to follow him as well on Instagram. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.